This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm your host, Kaylin Less. For the first time in the history of our modern workplace, we have up to five generations working side by side in organizations across the world. It's wild to me. And while it's unprecedented, it's also this massive opportunity because teams with so much diversity of thought and experience have the power to innovate and answer big questions. But at the same time, it's also created never before seen challenges for even the most experienced leaders because assumptions about generational work habits are often founded in fiction. What we think we know about each other is the greatest barrier to achieving more together. Today's guest has made it his life's work to separate myth from truth about generational differences in the workplace. And he'll provide strategies to unlock the potential of every team, no matter how diverse they are in age and perspective. As you listen, ask yourself, what would become possible if you challenged what you think you know to discover untapped potential in your own generation and the team you work with? With that, let's get into this conversation with generational researcher and author of the book, Z Economy, Jason Dorsey. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is, Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Jason, how did you find yourself at a very young age on a path to become a generational researcher? It's a very specific one thing. (laughs) Yeah. So for me, my path was highly unorthodox. I wrote a book when I was 18 years old that became a bestseller. And then through that book, I ended up on 60 Minutes. And that, that episode was on millennials, became this hugely popular and controversial episode. And from that, I remember exactly what happened. I was in a corporate boardroom because all these companies had called to ask me to come in and speak or consult. And I'm, and I'm in this boardroom and the CEO of this big public company, really smart. He says, you know, these millennials, they're terrible. You know, they're terrible employees. They're not loyal. They, they want a promotion. If they've been here for two days, they won't work on their birthday, you know, all this stuff. And I didn't know any better, right? I'm, I'm young. That's my first time in a boardroom. So I asked, you know, I, I'd, I'd love to learn more and understand it better. Can you send me your data so I can go through it and and maybe I can come up with some solutions or, or bring a new perspective to it? Now, this is obviously our core business. But so he sent me all the data and I go back home and I go to my wife, Denise, who has a PhD. And I said, Denise, this is the strangest thing. I just looked at this data and what the data says is the exact opposite of what the CEO of this huge company just said in front of his entire board. I said, what do you, what do you think we should do? And she says, we should start a research firm. 
She says, if the CEO doesn't know his own data around this, imagine if we can lead our own research and help them to make better decisions, better understand what's really going on. That could change the world. And that's how we started our research firm. And that's how I became a generational researcher at the Center for Generational Kinetics. I love that. That's a great story. And and clearly a need that you discovered along the way. Yeah, it's been an incredible journey. We've had over 700 clients now. We've led more than 65 generational studies. We have five studies going right now. We lead studies in multiple languages. And we're constantly on this mission to separate myth from truth with, through, with, through data. Because if we can separate myth from truth through data, then we can figure out not only what's real, but what actually works. And ultimately, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Well, I just think what's so interesting about that story is you're in this boardroom with the CEO telling you what he believes about millennials. And you're like, hello. That's me. <laughs> and asking, is that true about me? Like, I think that that's the, the pitch of that, that question is like really reflecting on who you are in your own generation while also asking the question in a bigger scope. Yeah, what it, what it made me realize, you're exactly right, was sort of taking an outside-in look at my generation. And the other thing that it made me realize is many people, when they think about generations, pick any of the labels, baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, we all sort of have this person in our mind who represents that. Maybe it's a kid, maybe it's an employee, maybe it's a neighbor. And that person becomes a proxy or representative for the whole generation, you know? And, and, and people don't realize they carry that with them. And so that's what being in that boardroom really taught me was here was a CEO, extremely smart, very successful company that had a perception about his team that was based on his own personal experiences, but did not match his own data. And by the way, this happens all the time with our clients. And so that's what we're able to help them to do. But, but that's why you always got to go back into the data and sort of step away from that, that generational bias or lens that we all carry with us all the time. And so often we don't even know it. Yeah. We talk a lot at the one thing about the fact that no one succeeds alone. Like we all need each other. And right now we're in a unique time in the workforce where there are many generations cohabiting the same workplace (laughs) together. And we have to succeed together. But like you mentioned, there's a lot of things that we either think we understand about other generations or myths that we're operating under. What is this unique space that we're in right now? How many generations are in the workforce currently? Right now, depending on the employer, we have anywhere from three, four, and even five different generations in the workforce today. And by the way, this has never happened before. If you went and got an MBA 10 years ago, this was not supposed to happen. But what we've seen is that older generations are staying in the workforce longer for a variety of reasons. They love to work. It's part of their identity. Could even be financial and, frankly, the idea that they can work and they can contribute and they want to. So companies, employers we work with, they may have employees as young as, say, 16 years old and as old as 80 or 85 in the same employer. And that is creating tremendous challenges on communication, systems, building trust, everything you can think about. But the key is what works with one generation can be a complete turnoff for the other. And leaders now have to figure out how do they lead across each of these. It sounds like a huge challenge and one that many leaders aren't necessarily articulating. They may feel the tension between that lack of sort of continuity between generations, but they're also not necessarily naming it. That's the problem. This is what I need to address. So how would you, how would you suggest that somebody start thinking about it in that sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you hit on something really fun. 
which is people realize the pain, but they don't assign it to generations. So like, I talked with them and I was very clear. And I'm like, well, when they walked away, do you think they understood? No, it was like I was talking to a wall, you know, <laughs> or I sent them a text <laughs> and they responded with an email or I left them a voicemail and, and then they, they left me a note. Like, I don't get this. And so that's how these generational differences really come to light, but we may not assign them to generations. So the easiest place to start to understand these generational differences is to create what we call a generational snapshot. And in our research firm, this is something we spend a lot of time doing with clients, but every client, everybody listening can do it on their own. And so you take each of the different birth years that you have working for you, and you create a pie chart by generation that basically says what percentage of each generation makes up your workforce. By the way, you can do this with your customers too. And 100% of the time, people are shocked. They're shocked to know they already have Gen Z employees. They're shocked to know they have traditionalists. They had no idea that millennials are the largest generation in their workforce. In fact, in the United States, millennials are the largest generation in the workforce, yet everybody thinks we're not working. (laughs) There's more of us working (laughs) than anyone else. So, So start with that generational snapshot. It's the easiest way to remove the bias and actually see all the different generations that you have around you every day. This may sound like a terrible question or a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it. So what actually defines a generation? What does that even mean? Yeah, and, well, without getting too far into the research, what we're looking for is called predictability by scenario. And specifically what we're looking for are birth cohorts with a shared geography. All of that to say, and you know, we have lots of PhDs who work here and we work with tons more. At the end of the day, it's a group of people born about the same time and raised in about the same place. And the key here is they have to be raised in about the same place. This is never talked about, and it's so incredibly important. You'll see differences, for example, in the US between urban and rural. And as you travel around the world, you'll see differences within the same generation. So geography is really important. And the key thing here is this. Generations are not a box that each of us fit neatly inside. People love to put people in boxes. That doesn't work, right? We get turned off by that. But what generations absolutely are, and we prove it through math every single day with our clients, is generations are incredibly powerful and predictive clues to do two things. And that is connect with people of different ages and drive influence. And at the end of the day, every leader, for-profit, not-for-profit, even with families, neighbors, you name it, it's all about being able to connect and influence and understanding generations gives you a head start to be able to do that. Man, when you say it that way, it's actually pretty backwards to what I think about when we think about generations, because many people think about generations around the challenges, constraints, or negatives, not necessarily the potential and the opportunity within generations. Yeah, that's such a brilliant observation and and a a very unusual one for people to have right off the bat. Because what happens is people tend to think of generations and they think in terms of, frankly, memes, (laughs) Facebook stories, right? So you hear that the millennials' pants are falling off and and they live with their mom and all this. And yet millennials drove a new home buying in the United States. Or you hear that, I don't know, Gen Z is spending their money like crazy. And yet every state of Gen Z study we do proves that Gen Z are saving more than other generations at the same age. Or my favorites, Baby boomers, you know what? Why are we talking about boomers? They don't even know about technology. And I'm like, they invented the technology. (laughs) You couldn't use it. And then, of course, Gen X, which nobody talks about. And yet, Gen X is actually the glue in the workforce. They're the bridge. And so these sorts of things are constantly playing out. But but it's stepping back and saying, okay, let's not assume generations are negative. Let's not attach any of those labels or stereotypes. Instead, let's look at the data. Let's get to understand what, what really shaped and made them who they are. And what you see is every single generation is important. We need every single one. And that's what makes our work at CGK so incredibly exciting because it's all about making it a constructive conversation rather than confrontational. So where do I start? Like as a leader, how do I start to unlock that performance potential 
across generations in my team, in my industry? Like, What's the first small two-inch domino that I can begin with so that I can start to be more comprehensive in that process? Yeah. The, the first step after, particularly after the generational snapshot we talked about, is to understand your own generation. And that really takes going, it, the easiest thing can be go online. You can watch my videos or other people's or read about it. Because what I think it helps people to understand is how other generations look at their own generation. This is really helpful, for example, for millennials to go, oh, that's why they say these things, or that's why they believe these things. That doesn't mean they're true, but now I understand. And then you can operate in the world differently. So I always say, start by better understanding your own generation first. And then with that lens, that awareness, then go and learn about the other generations. That to me is the key. Because once you can do that, then you can start to find the common ground. And to me, this is sort of the way I think about it. When I go to communicate with somebody, I want to have the lens of, what do I think is going to be the most effective way to communicate them with them based on what I've learned about generations? And it's that simple that just that pause to go, have I taken into account generations when I seek to connect with them? Now, does it mean it works 100% every time? No, absolutely not. Does it work the vast majority in a huge way? And that little step, that little pause of just considering generations before I engage with them has led to dramatic dramatic results. I mean, that's how we've taken clients from last to first and sales and employee retention and all these different industries. It's just that pause to recognize, have I considered generations and the impact of generations before I go to take this action? Something you said there that really struck a chord with me is it's not just looking out at the generations that are different than my own. It really is taking a mirror to understand how am I showing up? How am I maybe reflecting my own generational biases and then taking that first step for my own actions and pausing before I like really interpret anyone else's. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, that exactly. So an easy way to think about that is we work with some generations of leaders who prefer to communicate by text message. Now, they tend to be millennials, but not exclusively. And they're like, well, well Jason, why do they want to talk to me and get on the phone? I'm like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> this is how you prefer to communicate. Let's think about how they prefer. Or we'll have other generations that'll say, Jason, meetings really, they still need to be in person. And even in this time of uh, you know socially distance, we need to make sure that we can see each other. We want cameras on. I need to know they're working. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like, let's just take a pause and let's look at how you define being successful in a meeting, showing up at a meeting or what work ethic looks like. And what's amazing is when people just take that step, that pause and they sort of create, it's what we call in our research generational context, which is the term we invented to describe this. When that happens, all of a sudden, it's like all the lights go on. And they go, oh, I never thought about that. That's why my kids do this. This is why my grandkids do this. Or this is why when I'm talking to my dad, if I try it this way, it works. And if I try it this way, it doesn't. Like That's how people tend to uh, internalize it. And then once it works, they get very excited because they can apply it in so many other ways. So I know you mentioned that like thinking about it as a box that everybody fits into, not productive. But there are trends and things that you see. And that could you help illuminate for me like... What are ways that I could think about like what success looks like in a meeting for my team that has five generations in it? Because I, yeah. I feel like then that puts me on the spot where I have to meet all those needs. How do I even start to unpack that? Yeah, absolutely. So there's two trends that I think are worth just noting here that inform so much of this. The first one never talked about, and it's the most important, and that's parenting. I write about this a lot in the books that I write because the role of parenting is actually the greatest influence of generations. We learn from them is a job beneath you? What does hard work look like? What is professionalism? Being a good communicator? Do you have to go to college? All of these things. And then the second one, which really shows up in meetings, is technology. 
and your natural relationship with technology. Every generation has a natural relationship with technology largely driven by their age, what you consider normal. If you came of age with email, you think email might be the most preferred way. And if you came of age, let's say, shooting videos and sending them to your friends, that's what you think is normal. So the, the, the simplest way to think about having an effective meeting is to recognize, and I like to write it down, other people do it different ways, what are the generations that are present in the meeting? And think about what have I read or what do I understand of how they best prefer to participate in terms of communication, in terms of innovation, in terms of being in a meeting. And so for me, that might be, let's all log on. You don't have to have your video on. Frankly, some people do not like their video on when it comes to Zoom or these different video chat platforms. That's okay. Don't put them in an awkward position. Others want to have notes and they want to have the notes presented afterwards. So are we going to head a summary and send that out? And others are going to want an agenda ahead of time to know that you actually planned it. I'm not calling out any of the generations, but if you're listening, you definitely self-identified with, oh, I want the agenda up front or I definitely want the notes or I definitely want my camera off. But all of those enable you to have an easy meeting, an effective meeting without creating stress, without people feeling frustrated. And most importantly, you'll have better communication because what we find that breaks down in meetings is communication. One generation communicates one way, another generation communicates another. So for example, we hear all the time from baby boomers that other generations, particularly millennials and Gen Z, they're not participating actively in meetings if they're not taking notes, which is really interesting. And when we talk to Gen Z millennials, they're like, no, I'm not taking notes. I'm trying to really focus. (laughs) And so just being aware of that and going, okay, maybe they are actively listening. They're just doing it differently than I would. Or we actually teach Gen Z millennials, here's how to take great notes during meetings. One, because it sends a message you're really participating and they can see that. And two, so you have these as a great reference. Many of them never learned. This is so interesting. Many in Gen Z and in younger millennials never learned how to effectively participate in a meeting because they never had to. And so we expect them to when they show up, but yet nobody's ever shown them how to do it. You show them one time, they do it every single time. It's absolutely incredible. It really is. When you talk about it, it sort of, I mean, it hits me hard that sometimes we take we take for granted the things that we know and that are so true to us because they've always been true for us. And yet different generations are learning it for the first time. And that's crazy to me. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one way I like to think about it is other generations started working, some as young as 13, 14, 15. Now, when we look at Gen Z, they may not enter the workforce until they're 19 years old. Some of them may graduate college having never worked. They're getting their driver's license later than ever before. Or you look at millennials, they're delaying a marriage, having kids, buying their first home. And what happens is other generations look at that and go, oh, well, I guess they don't want to get married or they don't want to buy a home or they're not willing to commit. And we're like, whoa, whoa, all of our research shows something opposite, but you're comparing it to where you were at that age. And that's how you're reaching that conclusion. And that's the thing that when people see it, they go, oh, I never thought about it that way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, say that again a little bit because I think that when you say it fast, it sort of speeds by. But our norms are based on our experience, not necessarily what normal is. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's a great way to say it. it and, and the way I would say it is each person's norm is largely representative of their generation. And so we think about what did marriage look like at that time? So for example, we study a lot of different issues. Uh, were women supposed to be in the workforce at that time? Was that normal? Was it not? Were you supposed to stay home if you had a kid? Is paternity leave acceptable? All of these sorts of things. Do you have to show up to work in order to be a good employee? All of these sorts of things were very much learned by generation as they emerged. So when we look at other generations, We bring our sense of normal and apply it towards them. And that is where it's really problematic. 
because we'll hear people say, well, Jason, you know, my son doesn't have his act together. He's 25 years old and he's still figuring out. By the time I was 25, I had three jobs and I bought my first car and I was married. And I was like, yes, all of those were true. And you probably walked uphill both ways in the snow. I got it. (laughs) But today is different. And the experience of today's generation is different. And we can't apply right or wrong to it. We just need to understand and think about it and put it in context, and then we can know how to engage. And that's really what great leaders have to do today. So the risk, if that leader doesn't adapt and they do not adjust to the needs and start to listen to the needs of the generation, they could probably become irrelevant pretty quickly as a leader. Very quickly. And what's interesting right now, obviously, we're in the research and strategy business. So I travel around speaking or consulting, and primarily we're looking at people's performance through data. It really helps us to understand that. And so the way this shows up is leaders, could be executives, could be managers, start to have higher turnover with specific generations because you see that they're not able to keep them or they're not able to recruit them. Or on the sales side, their sales plateau or their sales continue, but they're only able to work with a very specific group. And what you know is over time, that group is maybe less valuable. This, all of these things happen constantly. And so what happens on the employment side is managers and leaders say to us, well, Jason, you know, they're acting entitled. I shouldn't cater or coddle to them. I get that. I would never ask anybody to cater or coddle to. However, if we know specific things that cost you zero, that take very little of your time, that actually drive better performance, will attract and keep the employees that you say you need, particularly when the economy gets better and it's more competitive, don't you think it's in your interest to do that? And theirs. Like everybody wins. Nobody's asking you to change who you are, your values or anything. And then on the sales and marketing side, it's even more pronounced because there is zero incentive for a generation to adapt how they communicate, shop and buy based on how you prefer to sell. And that is really important. Well, wait, employ- say that again. That's, that's a big deal. So unpack that for me. Yeah. So on the sales and marketing side, people tend to sell and market and communicate in the way they like to shop, buy, and communicate. And the problem is that may not work with another generation. And over time, it will really show up. We see this in pretty much every industry that we work in, from financial services to real estate to B2B sales. You know, People go in doing what works for them, what they think, oh, I would love to buy in this way, or I'd love to communicate in this way. And then it doesn't work. And it becomes more and more pronounced. And the difference is, if you're a customer today, you do not have to adapt to how any retailer or any service provider wants to communicate with you because there's 15, 20, 30, 50, 1,000 other providers trying to offer the same thing. And some of them will offer it in the way that you want to communicate, shop and buy. And that really is the key. Great leaders today recognize that consumers and customers, clients are driving the experience and adapting to them is what really works. And generations help us to do that in a very effective way. And we study it all the time. On the employment side, it's happening too. It's just happening a little bit slower because employers are still in the driving seat. But uh, but when we look at customers, it's the complete opposite and it's already happened. And all this disruption you see, all these brands you know that are failing with younger adults, it's not that they couldn't do those things. They just chose not to. And as a result, those emerging trends and those young consumers, they chose, well, we're just going to go somewhere else. And what happened? The brands eventually went out of business or became irrelevant. And by the way, the executives went with them. Hmm. Jason, it sounds like from what you're telling me that there's the message that leaders are the ones that need to adapt. Is there something that the incoming generations need to do as they join the workforce and join these teams? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking that. Yeah. Sometimes it's always like, oh, leaders need to change. But what we have found is that the emerging generation, whether that's younger millennials or Gen Z, when they take the time to understand other generations, it's the ultimate fast track for their career because they're seen as more credible, 
they better communicate, they get more career opportunities, and they advance faster because they can understand then what are other generations looking for? What do I need to deliver in order to best work with them? What do I need to do to have the most influence? And it's just the same conversation we've had about what leaders can do, but in reverse. And it works like magic. It's absolutely incredible. And once Gen Z millennials realize, wow, this allows me to get more of what I want cooler opportunities. I get to move up in my career, more flexibility. They have more trust in me, bigger budget, bigger assignment. They get so excited because now they understand how to leverage the best of every generation. So as a parent, is that changing the way that you work with your nine-year-old? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We have frequent conversations about all kinds of things that we believe will help her in the workforce, whether that's learning simple things like how to shake hands or how to participate in a meeting because we do bring her into meetings, which is fun. I mean, she's nine, but she's really good. She loves to join meetings for our company. Obviously, uh, we have two different companies we run. So she loves to sit in on them, really seek to understand, seek to listen, ask good questions. And like getting her to see this is how to engage is so incredibly inspiring. And by the way, it's not telling her what to do. Kids, kids really are, they're sponges, they absorb. As long as they know what's going on and what a success looks like, then all of a sudden they can pick it up and fill in the details in their own way. And it's been amazing to see how she's done that. I mean, even things like saving money and thinking about investing and stuff that my parents never talked to me about. And my wife's parents, they never talk with her about it. You know, just trying to look at that differently so she can ask better questions. And it's really exciting to see how excited she gets and frankly, how included she feels to even be present in these types of interactions. So yeah, it's, you know, our generational work has definitely impacted uh, how we parent. And uh, and hopefully that'll come back to us one day if she takes care of us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and you make a great point that across generations, no matter what meeting you're in, whether it's with your nine-year-old, whether it's with a, a boardroom, really asking the question, what does success look like for each person there? And making mm-hmm. sure that everybody has clarity on it will help communication, will help success, will help you get the results that you're looking for because you're all on the same page and you're pointing in the same direction. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even as simple, we do this a lot with the venture companies that I work with. It's just, what does a successful meeting look like and feel like? And it's it's always surprising to me how many people don't know. And once you can agree upon that, people can aim for that every single time. And you just you feel the energy in the room when people are aligned. So fast forward, the future of work. When I think about as a leader wanting to both grow a business, grow a team, and leave a legacy. And you starkly point out how quickly a business can become irrelevant if you don't adjust and adapt. How do those same skills fast forward to the future? Yeah. So the easiest way to think about that is if you want to know the future of work, you look at Gen Z today. I mean, that's what we the whole premise of our new book because it keeps being born out to be true. And what I mean by that is if you look at how Gen Z looks for jobs, it turns out millennials, Gen X, and boomers are probably going to end up looking for jobs the same way. If you look at how they communicate, it tends to spread up. So for the first time, we're seeing that emerging trends in the workforce are being driven by the youngest employees. So I'll give you an example. We're finding out right now that Gen Z, who's up to 25 years old, they want to apply for jobs completely by text message. Well, it turns out that millennials sort of like the same thing. And many in Gen X, like it's super easy. And even boomers are going, why do I have to go get that desktop out now, right? At the same time, what we see is Gen Z's coming of age, expecting to be paid every single day. This is a new thing. It's called earned wage access. But now they're 18, 19, 20, 24, 25. And let's pretend the employer that they've worked at or all three offered them the ability to get paid every day. Well, what do they expect with every employer from that time forward? to get paid every day. And it turns out that those employers, Gen Z might be the early adopters, but every other generation likes the idea that I can get paid every day too and not have to pay fees on that. Same thing now when we look at communication, same thing at learning. And so for employers out there, if you want to understand what's going to happen in the future of work over the next five, 10 plus years, you look at what Gen Z is doing now 
because it's actually rippling up to the oldest generation of employees. And that is the secret to future-proof your business is really understanding the emerging employees coming in because they don't just represent the the present or the future for them. They represent it for all the other generations because the other generations will adopt it as well. Wow. And sort of the fun way I like to think about it, my daughter's nine years old and she's always had FaceTime. So for her, phones are made for seeing other people, right? (laughs) They're not made for talking. They're made for video. And so I remember when my mom, grandma, uh, and, and our daughter, Raya, would try to communicate and grandma thought it was, you know, really weird that she wanted to see me. And now we're, are you looking up my nose? Is it the ceiling? You know, all these things. And now my mom calls her daughter only on what? FaceTime. And she wants to talk to me on FaceTime. And to her, it's completely normal. So this is just one simple, easy example of a young generation driving expectations that have rippled all the way up to their grandparents. And now it's normal. And, and if you could sort of step back from that and go, well, how much of that is just tradition? And is it really relevant right now? And does this best meet everybody's needs? And, and just to be clear, that's a scary conversation for a lot of people. That's uncomfortable because sometimes they take it almost as like a personal attack against them, which is why, by the way, you want them to lead it. But the idea is that once you see that, you go, I didn't know that we, we don't need to do all that. Do we always need to print out the agenda for the meeting? Like, no. <laughs> and so these sorts of things, once you get this new awareness to it, then you can find all these ways to be more effective across generations, which I absolutely love. And when you see teams go from feeling this this frustration and this sort of feeling like they're not heard to really high performing with multiple generations, they think they can do anything because they got yeah. new perspective, they've got energy, they're aligned. It's it's absolutely incredible. Yeah, my biggest takeaway from what you're saying is the idea that sometimes change or when your ways of doing things are challenged, it can feel very threatening and it can feel like you're misunderstood. But by looking at it in this new way and coming at it with curiosity... That like, oh, I wonder if that could work. I wonder how that we could benefit from that. It becomes rocket fuel for that team to start to understand each other in different ways while also leveraging different ways of seeing to actually find the best use case versus just what they've always done. Exactly. And and the key here is it's not about saying one group is more valuable than the other or that if you're a certain age, you're outdated. And I think that's really important. This is recognizing that every single generation brings value. Every single generation is important as employees, as customers, as neighbors, as family members. And if you start from that place, then you can unlock tremendous performance across generations. But that's really the key. And it's hidden, right? It's right there. It's just knowing to do this and then knowing what to do. I'm feeling inspired. Of all the different things I've heard, there are so many things I could do. Jason, what's the one thing that I can do as a leader to succeed across generations? The number one thing, if you would only pick one thing to do, would be to go in with the mindset that every generation brings value. They may just bring it differently than I do. If you start from that place, it it just creates an entirely different, different framework and foundation for a conversation that everybody will then want to be a part of. I love that. So Jason, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me online. It's the easiest place, jasondorsey.com, J-A-S-O-N-D-O-R-S-E-Y.com. And you can watch my videos. You can download our research for free. We have tons of great fun stuff. For those who are really research geeks like I am, you can go to our research website and check out all the big words. And that's at genhq.com. G-E-N-H-Q.com. And for those who want to get more into the practical application, which is really my passion, you can definitely check out my new book. It's called Z-Economy, How Gen Z Will Change the Future of Business and What to Do About It. And you can get it at wherever books are sold or the audiobook if you want to listen to more of my voice. (laughs) (laughs) It's so great. 
just you have a lot of good nuggets in there. So I I really appreciate the way you went through the research and made it not just interesting, but applicable. Oh, thank you. Well, I really appreciate that. And if anybody wants more of the little quick applications, you obviously can follow us, uh, follow me on social media. LinkedIn or Twitter are the best because that's where I shared the little nuggets. Because I know for me, I'm like, get to the point. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Such an honor to be a part of this amazing podcast and really the movement that, that y'all have created. It's really inspiring how many people that you help. So thanks for allowing me to play even a small part in it. There you have it, our conversation with Jason Dorsey. The thing that really stands out to me is not just the idea that no one succeeds alone, but the fact that when we aim to understand and appreciate each other's differences, everyone achieves more. When we challenge what we think we know by approaching things with an open mind, we invite bigger possibilities than we could even imagine. So ask yourself, what's the one thing I can do today to better appreciate the unique strengths and talents that every generation brings. When you discover the answer to that question, let us know by leaving a rating or review on your podcast player of choice and just put the answer right in there. Because here's the thing, we read every single review and by letting us know how you're implementing these principles of the one thing, it inspires us to do more and it helps us reach far more people. So if this episode has brought value to you, who's someone you know or care about that would benefit from listening to it? Share it with them. And if you're that person, welcome to the One Thing Podcast. Click the subscribe button so that all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device. Thanks so much for listening to the One Thing Podcast. We look forward to being with you in the next episode.